Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, it was March 2017. A few of us from Calvary Chapel Lubbock, we boarded a flight to Israel. Alice was one of them that got on the plane and we went to Israel. Now, we joined up with Grace Church in Amarillo. Now, again, we are going in next March of 2019. And it really is a trip of a lifetime. It, it, it really is. Now, this March 17, that was my second time visiting the Holy Land. And here's what I find very interesting. When you go to Jerusalem, guys, there are places in Jerusalem that um, are considered several holy sites, holy sites, okay? Or some people might even call them sacred. They're buildings that were considered sacred, and we were actually allowed to go in. There are places where it's like, okay, this is a church was built over a site, and it's holy. Don't touch anything. Don't look. Be careful. And then there are things in Israel that you cannot go into, okay? They're, they're buildings that, that are considered holy, and, and you can't go in. Nope, 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 Those, that's off limits to you based upon whatever religion it is. And here's what I found interesting. Although these buildings and holy sites were amazing to see, to look upon them, I think about the Western Wall, okay? When you go to the Western Wall, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people there, and, and you can take a piece of paper, and you can put it inside the Western Wall, and you can pray, and you'll see a lot of, of, of Jewish men here. The women are separated, and if you even go below that, it's people consider that holy, okay? They consider it like, like this is part of where God was. This is part of where God is. And if we just pray on this wall, God's going to hear us. And it's a holy and sacred side. But, but here's what I found interesting, guys. The Bible says that God, our God, he doesn't dwell in those places, okay? According to Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, it says, God who made the world and everything in it, you go, amen, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. So although those sites and those, and those sacred places and these giant buildings, wonderful architecture is amazing, that's not where God dwells. That's not where God lives. Think about this. Our heavenly father, guys, has chosen you to be his dwelling place. I mean, that just doesn't that just blow your mind? The the pure God of heaven, creator, says, I don't want to live in, in a building. I want to live in you. And what Jesus does, guys, is he comes and he's going to communicate this message to the disciples and, and obviously to us. If you're willing, church, listen to me. If you are willing, the God who created you desires to dwell. You go, Pastor, what is dwell? It means he wants to live in you. He wants to live in you. You see, our Heavenly Father, he's not impressed with buildings. He's not impressed with places. Oh, look what you did. Wow, this is great. Oh, okay, well, this is the building to be in. That's not who God is. See, actually, the Lord is looking for people, for a people who are humble before him, who are willing to be obedient to his word. Guys, listen, he's looking for pure hearts to worship him. That's where he wants to live. 
That's where he wants to live. He wants to live in, in somebody who's going, okay, Lord, I love you, and I'm going to be obedient to you. You see, in our study today, we discover that Jesus is going to tell us how to be filled, if you will, with the fullness of who God is. In careful study, we, we learn one beautiful thing that you and I, we were created for love. We were made in the image of God to love. And we'll see in the few weeks to come that actually Jesus is going to pray that the same love that God the Father has in Christ would be in you as well. As a matter of fact, you can jot this down. John 17, 26, Jesus is speaking. He says, I have revealed to them and I have con- will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and then I will be in them. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I'm going to be in this. So by the way of introduction, let me unpack this verse. You go, what does it mean? Well, the first thing it means, guys, think about this, is that Jesus, right? He had made God known to the people. That's what he did. This is who the Father is. He revealed to, the, to them the Father as he reveals the Father to us as well. And you go, amen. Isn't that amazing? You go, well, I'm not really walking with Jesus. How is he revealing the Father to me? Well, through his word. If you'll study his word and get into his word and let his word get into you, you'll see the Father. And I think that's important, right? Because when we die, we don't want to be in heaven going like this. Where do I go? Who's God? Where? I want to know him. I was like, that's him. I'm there. Listen, I know all about him. This is amazing. Another thing that we find out this verse means is that he revealed God's character and his power and that he continues to do so. Can I get an amen? Because that's exactly what we need in this day and age. We need that power to, uh, I mean, of God revealing the power to do so. See, then the father loves for his son will be in them as well in, as well in us. Here's what Jesus says. Listen to what he says. I will be in them. And of course, our question is how? If Jesus lived 2,000 years ago and he died on a cross and he resurrected, he's in heaven right now interceding for us. How is he going to live in us? Well, of course, we know this by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God. Now, before we get into the Holy Spirit, let me remind you what we talked about these past couple of weeks, okay, in chapter 14. We are in the upper room, the last supper, as some will call it, right? The foot washing is done. Jesus sits down and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, remember, the vibe is heavy. Why? Hey, man, first of all, our, our Savior, our Lord got up and he began to wash feet, which tripped us out because we should be doing that. He came to teach us how to serve and we're not even serving. And so that trips us out. And he says, oh, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And so, I mean, that just, what? Are you serious? As a matter of fact, Matthew tells us that what? He was exceedingly sorrowful. And I try to think, what does exceeding sorrowful look like? Right? Where I think it's where they're just really like, oh, stressed out. Wouldn't you agree? There's some anxiety and even maybe some tears. It's like, are you serious? Why would, Lord, we gave our life. We left families for you. God, I, I, I'm here. What do you mean one of us is going to betray you? And Mark tells us that, that they began to say, is it me? Is it you? Who is it? Who, who would do this? And of course, Judas looks at Jesus and says, is it me? And the Lord's like, yeah, you know it is. And he gets up and he leaves. And of course, we know that at that point, Satan answers Judas. Judas leaves the disciples, right? So this is all going on. Think about it. There were some scratching their head thinking, well, Judas is just going to go buy more food. Others are going, could it be him? 
I, I don't know. Is it me? <laughs> right? And so Jesus, knowing that Judas is gone now, he says, okay, I need to pour into you guys moving forward. I have just a short time. I have a short time. And so for our, for, for in order our hearts not to be troubled, I said we have to settle down and listen to what Jesus is teaching. And he told us last week about heaven and how he's going to prepare a place for us and how he's going to come back one day and take us home. Now, here's what Jesus tells the disciples, quite literally. Don't be stressed out. Don't be stressed out. Stop being stressed. That's what he says. He says, just believe. Just believe. Isn't that applied to our lives? Maybe this is a week for you that you're going, are you kidding me? Stress didn't even come close. I'm way up here, Pastor. And Jesus would say, stop stressing. It's okay. Just believe. Just believe. Now, he's telling them for a reason. Now, here's what I want you to see, guys. If you'll step back for a moment and you'll see, Jesus is painting a beautiful picture, guys, of eternity, of, of heaven. But he uses something that the disciples would have known and understood. You go, what did he use? Now, step back, okay? He's going to use the, Jew, the Jewish marriage ceremony. This is what he's going to use, okay? Now, I don't have time to really dig out all of it. I just want to give it to you quickly so you can see in our text, right? Let me just highlight a little bit. The first thing we see in a Jewish ceremony, a Jewish ceremony is the mohar, M-O-H-A-R, the mohar. You go, what is that? Well, the mohar was originally the purchase price of the bride, and it's therefore understandable why it was paid to the father of the groom, uh, the groom to the father of the bride. In ancient days, marriage was not an agreement between two individuals, but between two families. Didn't that step out? Why? Because Jesus is about to purchase his bride. Okay, so he's gonna he's already gonna give us the mohar. He's gonna purchase it with his blood. You are the bride of Christ. And here's the thing. I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking the bride of Christ. What about we go, Pastor, I'm the bride now. What about those that have died before? What about like all, I mean, think about, think about this. And you go, oh, okay, so we're all the bride of Christ. We're all the bride of Christ. So he has the what? The mohar. We'll come back to that in just a second. Then after the mohar, after the bridal price was paid, then we have the betrothal and the wedding. At the betrothal, the woman was legally married. That's what she was. She was betrothed. If you betrothed somebody, you were legally married, but you didn't live with her. Okay? It meant that she could not, it's basically like our engagement, but she could, you're, she's married, all, everything else. She couldn't go with another man. She would be like, hey, I don't want the ring anymore. I'm, we don't want to be engaged anymore. When you're betrothed, you were married. Here's what the groom did. The groom went back home. Okay? He went back to his father's house, and he built an addition to that house. That's what he did, okay? So he'd go back home, and he'd get his buddies together, and he'd say, hey, Stephen, come help me out, man. I'm engaged. You are right on. Well, when are you going to go get your bride? Well, as soon as we get this done. And he would build the house, and then he'd build an addition where he was going to live, him and his wife, and then he would go, okay, Dad, what do you think? Guess what Dad would say? Well, son, you did a great job. You know what his next words would be? Go get your bride. And there'd be this great procession. The bride didn't know when he was coming. The bride had no clue. All of a sudden, there'd be shouting in the streets, and she'd get excited and be like, Now, if you were betrothed, if you were the bride, and you were betrothed, right? And you go, Okay, how long has it been? Well, it's been eight months. He's probably getting close. That's nine months. He should be, he should be done by now. Right? 
We need a tile guy. I mean, come on, we need to get him. And then, and then he would come, and she would. And then he would, where, where would he take her? On a honeymoon? No, no, no. He'd take her back to his father's house and consummate the marriage for seven years. I mean, seven, seven, seven years. Yes. That seven weeks, seven days. Seven days. <laughs> days. 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 Our seven years. Our seven years. Say? So, so the guys, when Jesus is teaching, they would get it. They'd go, I get it, right? So he paints a picture of eternal marriage. But listen, he uses the same process. Look at chapter uh, 14, verse 1. He tells the guys, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Stop stressing. Why? For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you guys see the picture? Do you see it? That's exactly, he's going, listen, I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to heaven, okay, and I'm going to build you a place, a room, onto my Father's house, okay? And when, and when the Father says, is it done? It's done. He'll say, go get your bride. And see, the bride of Christ encompasses all believers, those that are living and those that are dead. You see, because when he told the disciples, he's probably going, oh, wow. And so I bet as they got older, they're going, okay, but where the bride isn't Jesus going to come back. He said he's going to come back and, and we would receive us. Well, Paul tells us a little bit to that story. What does he say? He says that there's going to come a time, right, when all of a sudden we're going to hear this trumpet and what? And, and basically says the dead in Christ shall rise First, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to me. That's when Jesus goes, hey, it's time to get married. We're already married, guys. We're already married. And that's why it breaks our God's heart when we fool around with other gods, with other idols. We're married. We're married. And those of you that are married in here, you ain't playing when it comes to, to your spouse fooling around with somebody else. It ain't going to fly, right? It ain't going to fly. Where have you been? Well, I've been with this other girl. Well, nothing's happening. We're just, we're just hanging out. My wife would be like, mm-mm, that's not happening. Why? Well, it's the same way, right? That's the same way. That God, we're his bride, and I got way off track. Let's go back into our text. Sorry, 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 sorry. So Jesus gives us the comfort of heaven. He tells the disciples, guys, you're going to do a greater work in extent. How? Through, through what? Worldwide preaching. The worldwide, you're going to do so much. And so we would ask, how? And Jesus says, because I'm going to go to the Father, meaning he's going to go away so he can send us another helper, one who will dwell in our hearts, right? He will dwell in the hearts of men and women who are willing to receive him. And we can be sure, we can be assured that the ministry of Jesus will go on and on. How stout, church? Because of the sending of the Holy Spirit. Your attention, please. We have to be so careful because here's what the enemy does. If I was the enemy of the church, if I was the enemy of you, what I'd want to do is I'd want to distort the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit in your life. If he's going to, if he is the one who in greater extent is going to allow us to propagate the gospel to the world, well, then I want to distort it. And that's where we've come as, as, as a church, right? We've, we've distorted. Oh, I don't know. This is weird. Oh, that's weird. And, and then, they, and, I mean, and P.I. went to a church and they were barking and it was, and, it, and he distorts it all weird. And we got to stay to the text, guys. 
Because again, in context, what's he saying? He's saying, okay, guys, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm the Holy Spirit, okay? So with that, guys, let's learn a little bit about the Holy Spirit. You want to come back next week uh, because we'll finish up on the Holy Spirit. So let's learn what Jesus says about the precious Holy Spirit in our lives. Number one, we need to just remember he is a person, not a force or a power. He has power, He's the person. He's a person. Very, very important. So Jesus starts off back in our text. Jesus starts off talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's going to talk out. He's going to start with an amazing statement. Okay. Look at verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, at some points, it's like, man, that's like out of context. He was talking about heaven. And then he says, if you love me. And so, so let's, let's, let's unpack it, guys. When teaching about the Holy Spirit, I have to ask, why would Jesus share about keeping his commandments? It's almost like his statement is designed to teach us that the Spirit will indwell a heart filled with that love to him, which is only found in obedience. You, you, you understand? It's like he's going to go, okay, listen, I'm about to, get, I'm about to go away. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. But in order to do that, I want a heart that is in love with me and is willing to obey me, right? And you go, okay, well, let's break it down, break it down. Okay, he starts off and he says, if, right? Do you guys see the word if, if you love me? Well, if, guys, if you'll circle that word, it's a marker of condition. It's a marker of condition. If, why? Because love is a choice. Love is a choice. Love is not a feeling and emotion and you're running down the beach and you hear music and you're like, oh my goodness. And you hung around like this and, oh, I just love you. Love is a choice. It's a choice to get up every single morning and say, okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. It's conditioned. That's why he says if. Why? Because free will, you have a, you have a, you have a choice not to love him. You really do. And so he says, if you love me, right? What, what do I need to do? If you love me, right? What? He says, keep my commands. Now, think about this, okay? Think about this. If or when you love somebody, what's the one thing you would never want to do? You would never want to dishonor or demean his or her name. You wouldn't want to do that. You want to love them and honor them. And Jesus says, if you love me, this is how you'll honor my name. How's that? You will keep my commandments, And you go, amen, but we got to do some work, right? Because we need to talk about love. We need to talk about love, and then we need to talk about commandments. If you have a pencil handy, guys, you need to circle that word for love, okay? You need to go, why? Because I want to tell you, this is in the verb tense. It's in the present verb tense, and this is the same word where we get a process or a habit, a habit, right? So again, it's like, okay, so what are you saying? Well, let me just jot this down, and I'll come back to it for a second, okay? It's used 56 times, okay, throughout the whole book of, uh, of John, right, 56 times. And so, but, but the verb tense is a process. This is, this is habitual. And so if I were to read it like this, I said, if you love constantly, repeatedly, habitually, if you love me. And I started thinking about that word habit, right? Because I was scrolling through Facebook, don't judge. I was scrolling through Facebook the other day and I found this and, and, and somebody posted this. I thought it was good because it, it just made me think about this, right? It, it, it goes like this. It says, watch your thoughts because they become what? Words, okay? Watch your words because they become actions. Watch your actions because they become habits. Watch your habits 
they become your character. And I thought, wow, if, if the word love, if we're supposed to habitually love God, is that, am I characterized by that? Am I, is that my character, right? Because why? Because if you watch your character, it becomes your destiny. I thought that was interesting. Because I want people to look at me and go, man, his character, well, wait a minute, why are you acting like that? That's out of character because your character is you're constantly loving Jesus. That's, that's all, you just love Jesus. You know, I went to you the other day and we were having a cup of coffee and we started talking, we started fellowshipping about football and I don't know how it ended up on Jesus. Because we love Jesus. You see, it's just our character, it's habitually and so, what are you doing? I, I heard this morning that, that a, a pastor got up and, and he would pray for five hours before even starting the day. And I'm like, five hours? Man, why would somebody pray for five hours? Help me, because he loves Jesus. That's his character. And his character becomes his, his destiny. And so it's at this point in our Bible study, guys, that we go, okay, I want to love Jesus that way. I, I, I want that to be the habit. I want, what's, what, what habits do you have in your life? I habitually love God. And then somebody would go, well, how do I know? Because if you keep, the word keep is obey, if you keep his commandments, you keep his commandments. John actually goes on and he, he repeats this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, where he says, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. As a matter of fact, David loved God and kept his commandments. Luke writes in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Do you feel the breaks there? Why? Because I want to be, listen, I don't know about you, but I want to be a man that God says, that's a man after my own heart. And yet, the song tells me, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, to leave the God I love. So it's this inner civil war. I want to love, I want to be, I want to be that man. That, hey, have you noticed my servant Ben? He's a man after my, wait, wait, hey, come back here. Because I'm constantly looking, ah, oh, what's this? Butterflies. And I'm running out somewhere else. And I want to be that because David was that. But David, David was characterized by what? He will do everything I want him to do. Lord Jesus, help us to be that man. But in context, in the word of God, what Jesus just talked about, remember, he was talking to his disciples about what? In context is important, right? Because he had just said, you guys are going to go do greater works. You're going to do greater works through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in context, he's saying, in the preaching of the gospel. In the preaching of the gospel. You go, what does that mean? The word commandments there, guys, you're thinking Ten Commandments because that's how we were brought up. He's, the, the word is, it means order, commission, or command. It's the commission. It's the great commission. Okay? They would obey the great commission and go into the world and preach the gospel. That's what he's talking about. He says, man, if you love me, keep doing what you're doing. Go out and preach. Don't, don't be startled. Don't be troubled. Don't worry about what's about to happen. Don't, worry, don't freak out when you see me on the cross. I know it's going to trip you out. Don't freak out. Don't be stressed. Still preach the gospel. Still preach the gospel. Right? You're just like, whoa, whoa. I think at this point I'd raise my hand as a disciple and go, Lord, I don't know how we would do that. You're our leader. And then in order to do that, Lord, we need your help. And Jesus knows this. Look, he keeps speaking truth into our lives. Look at verse 16. He says, and I will pray the Father... And I will give you another helper 
that he may abide with you forever. And the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. He says, but you know him. Why? For he dwells with you and he will be in you. Right? Did you guys see that? Jesus says to a heart that is ready to receive him, I'm going to go ask, that's the word, I will pray, ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper. Do you guys see that? Look at the word another. If you'll circle that and kind of move it off to the side, you can put one of the same kind, which is very important, one of the same kind. He's not saying, I'm going to go send you somebody different. He says one of the same. The Greek there is parakletos, parakletos. And you go, what does it mean? What does it mean, Pastor? It's one called alongside to help. He says, man, listen, I'm going to send you somebody, somebody who's exactly like me. Somebody's going to live in your heart. How's this going to happen? Supernaturally, it's going to be amazing. And what's he going to do? Well, I know he's going to come alongside to help. That's why he's the parakletos. And then John, and then Jesus said later on in, in chapter 16, verse 7, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Why is that important, church? Why is that important? Because if I'm with Jesus, right, and he says, it's to your advantage to go away, I said, Jesus, you got it wrong. It's not to my advantage you go away. I need you here. But Jesus says, but if I don't go away, I can't send you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And yet we collectively as the church of Jesus Christ have shunned the Holy Spirit away. Because people have twisted that and made it weird. Instead of embracing and saying, okay, this is what I need. I need the Holy Spirit. So you go, well, what's the job of the Holy Spirit? Well, that would take several Bible studies, but let me just give you some. Number one, it says in our text that he will abide with you forever. I find great comfort in that. When you gave your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you, and he's going to be in you forever. Right? He's going to live with you forever. Forever. When I die, the Holy Spirit is going to guide me to my resting place because he's in me. He's in me. The Bible also says that he's going to be a helper, a helper, a, 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 a person of comfort to me, of comfort. And yet there are times in my life, help me, church, don't leave me hanging up here alone. There are times in my life when I don't use the Holy Spirit to comfort me. And I find comfort in other things that don't bring comfort. And he's a comfort to me. The root meaning of the word comfort, guys, you can jot this down. Here's the idea. The idea is he's an advisor. Have you asked him what you should be doing? Lord, here's my problem. What do I do? Would you advise me? Where should I go next? What should I do? We were ministering yesterday uh, at Grace Campus, and, and I was speaking to a couple of folks, and this is exactly what I said. I said, every morning you need to get up and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Because it doesn't matter circumstantially where you are, but it's knowing that he's the advisor. Another word is exhorting. He exhorts us. He exhorts us. Hey, come on. This, there's the path you should go down, Ben. That's the path. Are you sure, Lord? That's the path. Go down. He exhorts us. The other word is comforting. He brings comfort. Whenever there's somebody sick in the hospital or I have to do a funeral, the one thing I pray for is that God would be the God of comfort in that room. A God of peace that, that just surpasses all understanding, a God that just comes. The word, another word besides comforting is strengthening, and I think that's the biggest thing. In our weakness is when we need his strength. We don't tap into that, guys. Because, because here 
In America, you've been taught, listen, you do it yourself, buddy. You get yourself in a mess. You pull yourself out. Pull up by your bootstraps. All the, uh, all those. I'm going, I don't, that's not what God says. God says I can turn to his Holy Spirit and say, God, I need your strength. I'm a mess. I don't know where to go now. I don't even want to take a step without you. The Bible says he's also interceding for you. I need that. The word helper is interceding. Why? Because I'm a mess. And when I mess up, the Holy Spirit goes, oh, it's all right. It's okay. He's still bought with the blood of Jesus. It's all right. He's still saved. He's still saved. He's got a lot of work to do. And then he also does this. And this is something that, guys, we need to learn and we need to grow with. He's an encourager, isn't he? And it seems like for us, that we, that's, the, that's the trait I want to take on is to be encouraging to other people. Be encouraging. It's so obvious for us to point out circumstances and we, it's so obvious for us to look and go, why are you here and why did you do this? But it's far harder for us to go, it's going to be okay. You got this. You're created in God's image. You're okay. You'll, you'll survive this. You'll survive this. If you're taking notes, guys, I wish I had more time. Uh, if you're taking notes, John also calls him an advocate in John chapter 2, verse 1, an advocate, and I love this, one who speaks to the Father in our defense. <laughs> one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Just me? All right, no, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit is constantly going, really, Ben? Okay, I'll be right back. Really, Ben? Okay, I'll be right back. I go, go, I got to go talk to the Father. Okay, listen, that's why you died. <laughs> that's why you died, Jesus, because... That dude right there, yeah, That's a, he's my advocate. He's my advocate. Warren Wearsby says this, and I quote, We cannot live the Christian life as God would have us to live it. We must know who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, and how he does it. The Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us, but in us and through us. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to make a couple more points before we move on, okay? But note with me. I don't know if you noticed this, but you see the Trinity is spoken here. The Trinity. You go, what do you mean? Jesus says, I will ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit. All three present in here, right? Why? Because it takes the Father, Son, and the, and the Spirit active in the life of a believer. I don't know about you and Holy Spirit, please forgive me. I oftentimes forget to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. I say, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, but, but the Holy Spirit is God just as well, isn't he? And it's all three active in our lives. So we see the Holy Spirit. You go, I didn't see the Trinity in here. That's awesome. But he's also going to give us two of the Greek prepositions that we see as part of the Holy Spirit. We learned this in our discipleship class just this past week. The three Greek prepositions concerning the Holy Spirit. The first one is para, P-A-R-A. It's when the Holy Spirit comes alongside you. Okay, and Jesus actually says that, right? He says, for he dwells with you. He's going to come alongside you. That's where we get parakletos, para, periscope. He's going to come alongside. The second Greek preposition is the word en, E-N. Okay, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes inside you, right? Inside you at conversion when you give your heart, a heart that's transformed, a heart that's born again. The Holy Spirit will come inside you. Jesus says he will be in you. And then later on in the book of Acts, we're going to see the third Greek preposition is epi, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And of course, in context, he's talking about being witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. So he's going to come upon us when we need him. It's that epi experience. Now, 
If you're here today and you're a non-believer, the Holy Spirit is still alongside you. He still brings that conviction from time to time. If you're here today and you're born again, the Holy Spirit is in you. He's living inside you. And there are times he wants to come upon you for, right, for the gospel to move forward. There are times the gospel moves forward by the supernatural working of miracles. The healing of people, right? Whatever it might be, God wants to do that. So we see that, the Holy Spirit, okay? So in verse 17, notice what he says. He says, now now let's talk a little about verse 17. He says, the spirit of truth, this is the Holy Spirit, the world cannot receive. It doesn't know anything about that. He says, but he looks at his disciples and he says, you know him. Guys, because he's been with you, and he's going to be in you. Do you see the Do you see the veiled reference to the to Jesus walking with the? He's been with you, and when I go away, he's going to be now in you. It's like wow, wow! You can't make this stuff up. This is this is God. This is God. And you go, okay, well, what is it? What is, what, what? What? Well, it's basically we see the Holy Spirit living in the lives of all believers, of all believers. And I love verse 18. He says, oh, by the way, I won't leave you orphans. I don't know if they were thinking that, you know, were they going, but you're leaving us. And, and he says, I, I will come to you. And it literally reads this. I do come to you. Present tense. I do come to you. And I'm thinking, okay, so what, what is Jesus saying? If the literal translation is I do come to you, I wonder if he's talking about after, after the third day, he's going to resurrect. He's going to come to the disciples. Okay, I will come to you. Or is he talking about, I'm going to come to you, right, after I leave in the presence, right, of the Holy Spirit, in the person of the Holy Spirit? Am I, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to live inside you. Or wonder if he's saying, in the future, I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to heaven. And I'm going, ding, 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 ding. I think it's all three. I think it's all three. Notice he says, he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. And I think you go, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, let me say this. You might be here today, like me, I'm an orphan, okay? Um, my mom died and my dad died. I'm, I'm an orphan. I get it. But I'm not an orphan. Why? Because I got a heavenly father that's, that's, that's loving me and I still got a father I can talk to. Him. He says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. He says, I'm going to come to you. He's going to come. He went to the disciples after what? The resurrection. He, he basically, right? He, he showed me through the power of his Holy Spirit. And one day, I'm going to see him come. I'm going to see him come. My sister Alice has plans, so we're waiting. We are waiting for the Lord Jesus to come. What wonderful words of comfort. Don't you guys get that comfort that he's not leaving us an orphan, but he's coming for me? He's coming for me. And so again, it's the, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But again, I have to raise my hand and go, okay, so what, what does this look like in our lives? What does this look like? Okay, how is this? How, I mean, okay, so the Holy Spirit is in me. Okay, I gave my life to the Lord. What does this look like? Well, let's close Okay, let's close our Bible study. Now, don't, don't shut your Bibles. Go over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We're not going to do an in-depth. We're just going to pull it out, right? Here's what Paul says about the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 of chapter 5, he says, I say then, he's telling us, walk in the Spirit, okay? Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, He's saying, this is, this is evident. This is what it should look like in your life. Verse 17 says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they're contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Under the law. Here's the promise of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, okay? As the Holy Spirit lives in us, guys, we will then live how he wants us to live. You go, what's that? Well, we, now we got to be, now we got to put on our, uh, our green thumb hats and we need to be fruit inspectors, okay? Because this is, this is what it looks like in the life of a believer. He's saying, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You go, well, what is it? The fruit of the Spirit, guys, is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Isn't that what Jesus has been talking about? If you love me, right, you'll keep my commandments. By this, all will know that you love me. If, or my disciples, if you have love one for another, he's all talking about love. I think, there's, I think there's a theme here. The fruit of the Spirit in your life is love. And I think it's a supernatural love that you just shake your head at because you know you and you know the old you. And if you weren't walking in the Spirit, that old you would not be so loving to that person who just hurt you. Instead, your heart is broken because it's like, I love them. I love them. And Lord, your word actually tells me that I need to love those that hate me. That's weird. I need to pray for those who spitefully use me. Mm -mm, I want to punch them in the nose. No, oh, wait a minute. It's part of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what I want to do, Lord. Because you reminded me in your text, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Lord, I love you. So, so the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? Love. Love. And within that love, he says, part of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is joy. It's joy. And there are days that I'm happy, and there are days I'm genuinely bummed. But the, but the fact that I can close my eyes at night and know that I'm saved and loved and forgiven. That brings joy. That brings joy. How about peace? Is there peace in your life? What wants to what what in your life wants to disrupt peace? Well, the enemy does. How about patience? Patience. Do you have patience? How about kindness? I'm thinking in every situation, in every conversation, I have a choice, don't I? I have a choice to be sarcastic or I have a choice to be kind. Lord, fill me with your spirit so I can be kind. What about goodness? Goodness. How about faithfulness? How about faithfulness? Are you faithful? Are you faithful to the things of God? Gentleness. Can your kids come to you with anything and you'd be gentle with them? Can a coworker come to you in confidentiality and you'd be gentle? How about self-control? 
See, again, the fruit of the Spirit is this. And what Paul goes on to say, he says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, we started our Bible study, study off by saying that God dwells where? God dwells in you. He doesn't, he, he's not, he's not, He's not impressed by our churches, guys, because the church isn't the building. The church is you. And so when it comes to the Holy Spirit, a lot of people go, well, I don't know. Again, that, you know, I went to, I used to go to church and they did this and they did that and they did that. But for the moment, you just need to ask, Lord, are, are you living in me? Are you living in me? Because I want to see love and peace and joy and patience. I know I'm not there. I know that I'm impatient at times. I know that I don't demonstrate self-control. I know that sometimes I'm not kind. But I, I want to strive towards that. I want to strive towards that. Lord, that's what I want. And so, Lord, if you're willing, I confess my sins to you. I want a heart that's pure so that you would live in me and that you would guide me. And Lord, I wouldn't make decisions about anything else except asking you and seeking you and praying to you. And even if the answer is no, I would go, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Guys, sometimes we, we got it all figured out. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to go. This is how it's going to happen. And we never take a moment to say, God, what do you want? What do you want? What am I supposed to do? And then do it. And trust him. And trust him. He wants to live in you. You have that amazing power, guys. If you'll just tap into that. More next week. You don't want to miss it. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Thank you, Lord, today for your word and your truth in your word, Lord. Lord, this is one of those Bible studies where it's like, Lord, I'm excited. That's awesome. And then there's part of it where I'm like, Lord, I messed up. I have let you down. And so, Lord, here's my prayer, Lord. My prayer that every one of us in this room, God, would be filled with your Holy Spirit, would be baptized with your Holy Spirit, God. And Lord, if there's anyone here that's going, Ben, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm struggling with, uh, Lord, just, just, I just need more of you. Then I pray that in the moment, as Josh leads us into worship, that you would say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Come upon me. I open up my heart. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Guide me, Lord. Guide me. I want all that you have for me, God. That's why I'm here. I want more of you, Lord. I want to know you. Baptize me, God, with your spirit. I believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email 
to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.